Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. Hey, Vet Church, how y'all doing? Um, beautiful Saturday morning, an exciting day. Uh, Vet Church interview. Later in the day, we're going to do our first Vet Church wedding. Right now, we're sitting in the conference room of the First Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Have the incredible honor of sitting with uh, Colonel Bob Browning, retired United States Marine Corps, just Marine like it Corps. says on his shirt. And uh, Just came from the gym, so I figured I'd have my... Just uh, came from the gym. How old yeah. are you? Uh, 76. 76. Just came from the gym. <laughs> There's some motivation for you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so talk to us about your career a little bit. I mean, just give us some background. Um, you did, you were in Vietnam? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, give you a quick, uh, update till the time I got commissioned. Uh, I came from a military family. My father uh, spent 26 years in the Marine Corps. Uh, I bounced around from one base to another uh, as I was uh, going through school. But we ended up in uh, Miami, Florida, fortunately, for my last six years of uh, school. I graduated from high school there and went on to uh, Florida State University. At that time, we had a draft. And if you were in college, enrolled, and you were making your grades, you were exempt. But the day you graduated, your number went right back in the hat. So I decided that I would uh, go into uh, an officer program and I joined the Marine Corps platoon leaders class as a uh, end of my freshman year. Uh, We didn't do anything at school. We went through all of our training in the summers. So I didn't have to worry about a summer job. I had a fun job in the summer uh, going through the, uh, nowadays you would say officer candidate school, but it was split in two parts. Uh, got commissioned when I graduated in uh, April of 63 and went on to uh, Quantico, Virginia. So the Marine Corps for me wasn't anything that was totally new. Uh, I cleaned my father's uh, weapons when he used to go to the rifle range and everything and I knew all about that. And uh, But it was something to serve my country which I wanted to do and it was also to keep from being drafted, which I didn't want to do. So uh, I did not know I was going to make a career of it at that time. Things uh, came together the right way for me, and I did end up making a career and ended up retiring uh, uh, right at the beginning of uh, 1989. So came in in 61 in the PLC program and got out and 89, and when you add it up, it's about 27 years worth. It's a long time. Give or take. So, how old were you when you went in? Well, when I signed up for the PLC program, I was 19. Uh, I got commissioned. I uh, was uh, 21 when I got commissioned. And when did you get married? I got married my senior year in uh, college, or excuse me, at the end of my junior year in college, 
and that would be in uh, 62, June 2nd, 1962. Still married to this day. Still married to this day. So, as I told you before, she put up with uh, me in the Marine Corps. That's sort of a double dose. Oh, it is. Uh, I mean, <laughs> and I have to give my wife uh, a lot of credit. Uh, she uh, spent uh, many days running the house, uh, taking care of our son uh, when I wasn't there. And uh, when I'd come back, it was like she hadn't been gone anyplace. I mean, things were all together. It's not that it was easy. Uh, communication was difficult. You had to write letters. No, so, no cell phones? No cell phones. <laughs> now, we did have a shortwave radio in Vietnam, and you were allowed one five-minute call a month on shortwave radio. Mm -hmm. The problem with shortwave radio was easy for us because in military communications, we're used to... Uh, saying something, saying over for the other person to talk. Yeah. But uh, my wife wasn't used to that. So uh, she had to do the over and out routine on the shortwave radio. And you only get five minutes. And you only get five minutes and only one can talk at a time. And, uh, but she got, she finally got it down, uh, down pretty good. So we got that, but that was, really about it. You'd write letters and uh, it'd take three weeks for a letter to get to her. It'd take three weeks for hers to get to mine. So you had six weeks from the time you wrote your letter till you got an answer and you'd mm -hmm. written letters in the meantime in between. So uh, it, it could get kind of jumbled up. Now, now what was your job? Uh, when I got out of the officer's basic school, I went to a flight school in Pensacola. And I was in flight school, and I was playing uh, basketball for Pensacola Navy on the side. And I got injured uh, pretty severely, knee injury in a basketball game. And uh, to make a long story short, they really didn't do anything to fix it. But because we had a lot of pilots going through school, they were going to put me before a medical board. And I knew that if I went before a medical board, I was gone. It was over. Yeah. It was over. So I dropped. I said, I'm out of here. And uh, they sent me uh, to uh, field artillery. So I went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, to the, uh, Fort Sill, to the Army Artillery School. And then I went to my first duty assignment, 29 Palms, California. So the first time I was over there was uh, pretty much artillery. Uh, the second time I went to Vietnam, because I had come back and had three years in the States, uh, they sent me to school to be a forward air controller, so I was uh, flying in uh, OV-10s at the time and uh, running airstrikes, artillery missions on the second tour, so I, I spent the whole time in the, in the air. Uh, and just to let you, I mean, for a 13-month tour, I had some months where I had 145 hours of flight time. We'd fly 30 days straight, and then maybe you'd get a day off. <laughs> wow. And uh, OV-10 could uh, spend a, a lot of time on station, like about four hours, so it wasn't a, a jet up and down. You were out there for a while. And, and taking care of people on the ground. Taking care of people on the ground, and having been on the ground, uh, you knew what they were going through, and uh, responding to whatever requirements that, uh, that they had. So how many tours did you do in I had two uh, tours in Vietnam. Uh, 
first one 13, the second was about 12. And uh, talk about the emotional content in your faith in that. Well, if you, uh, I've always said, if you uh, want to be close with God, get into combat. <laughs> because it gives you uh, many opportunities to rely on your faith. Uh, if you came into the military with faith, strengthened it while you were in the military, it was there for you to use, to lean on, and to get you through the situations that you came up against. Uh, something that's a little bit to, with what we're talking about, there was a movie years ago called God is My Co-Pilot. It was a Jimmy Stewart movie, and he was a pilot. I always looked at it as, uh, God, I'm your co-pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got this. I'm going with you. Get me where I need to go and keep us all out of trouble and, uh, you know, bring us home in, in one piece. Uh, kind of turned it around a bit, but I would say that every day uh, there was something that, that, that tested your, your faith. Uh, did you actually really stop and not, and not do anything and dwell on it? Not, not normally. You were going through, you know, a particular flight and so on and so forth. But in the back of my head, uh, there was a, a lot of uh, things. I said a lot of prayers where I probably never got to say amen. And uh, it was just like talking to you. Oh, you know, for me, you know, <laughs> that's I, a lot of that happened. It was like yeah. it was you're moving 24 hours a day. There's things going on. Yeah. The travel, I was the travel for a whole bunch of people. It was nonstop. There was no. It wasn't time for thinking. Yeah, it was time for action. It was time to do things. It was time to go talk to this person, listen. Talk to this person, listen, observe. Yeah, because that's the that's the job of a chaplain, and um, it really wasn't until later that I thought about things, and you know, and I think that's you know. Well, speaking of uh, chaplains, uh, we had uh, each unit that I was assigned to. We had a chaplain that was assigned to the unit, and uh, I really use the chaplains and what I mean by that I mean we brought them into the unit and they knew what we were doing they were part, part of, of us yeah, yeah. they weren't uh, sitting in a tent with a cross on it someplace waiting That's for right. somebody to come to see them they were there and I could always tell them uh, if there was a marine that was having problems I said uh, when you get a chance uh, go talk to uh, so-and-so yeah. he's, he's got got a few issues uh, in a lot of ways in Vietnam, especially the second tour, it wasn't any different than it is today with the press. The press was anti-Vietnam War in the United States. Rallies, riots were taking place in the United States against the war. We had no, uh, you know, obviously television, as we said, cell phones, so we had no instant communication but we had newspapers mm -hmm. and they'd come and they'd see pictures on them. And it sort of depressed the troops. So we used to have these uh, bonfires and we never even opened the newspapers. 
we just uh, got them and threw them in a bonfire and we burned them all up and all the Marines were happy. And uh, we went on about our business. What's, uh, it's a funny thing because <laughs> as, as soldiers, sailors, airmen, even the Coast Guard, I see right. the Coast Guard in Afghanistan, they're, um, I mean, it was Iraq, but we're not calling the shots. This is less than 1% of the American right. people that serve. Right. And, and and I always thought, looking back at what happened to y'all coming out of Vietnam, mm-hmm. is be, is the change that took place for us. Because now everybody walks up to us and says, thank you for your service, thank you for your service. And people are interested in what we did. But we didn't, we're not warmongers. Mm-hmm. There's no glory in killing it's not, I don't, and very few people, if, if we find somebody in the military that's that way, we, we move them right over to the psych docs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not this, it's the, it's the responsibility of the American people, how they vote, what they think about. And that's, um, and we're just, we're really at their beck and call. Like when you raised your hand, yeah, you said you would do anything. Right. And you did. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. Well, you know, you bring up a good point. I came, uh, my second tour, I was coming back from Vietnam, and we brought the squadron back at that time, so we dumped all the aircraft and everything out at uh, El Toro in California, and I was getting on a plane at uh, Los Angeles International, and I had my uniform on, and a woman, while she tried to spit on me, she didn't quite make it. Uh, I jumped out of the way, but it went flying by me. And um, that was sort of the attitude uh, with a lot of people. And a lot of those uh, individuals that served in Vietnam, when they came home, when they needed some emotional support and they needed people to help them, uh, they didn't find them because they they weren't there. I always said that if I could ever do anything about that, and I didn't know what that meant, I would try to do it. So... Fast forward several years later, in uh, 2005, we joined First Presbyterian Church of Greenville, and I went to the pastor and I said, I'd like to start a military ministry. And uh, they said, well, uh, what, do you think it, what do you think it would do? And I already had that laid out, and I said, well, we'll do this, that, and the other thing. I said, I've noticed... Uh, on a list I saw the other day that we have uh, 65 members of this church or close relatives of members that are in the military. What are we doing for them? Well, we're praying for them. I said, well, that's good. That's good. (laughs) That's good. We need to do that. But they have other needs, and we need to find out what they are, and we need to be as supportive and as helpful as they require and so Claire Ripley who's a pastor here now she was just on the staff and they said go talk to Claire I went and talked to her we came up with basically the outline the mission statement everything for the military ministry and we started it Uh, so to me that was one thing that I could do that would not, it's not going to help everybody, but would help a, a few folks in dealing with what they uh, experienced in combat and trying to reintegrate themselves. In, did this help you too? Oh, yeah. 
it was helping me probably more than it was helping them. <laughs> well, but you see, I, yeah. I think that's important because, yeah. like, you know, we, we talked about post-traumatic stress. I've been diagnosed with it. Um, and, and, the, and the folks that don't have faith, like, I didn't lose my faith. In fact, it was my faith that's brought me back. And when I started taking all the drugs, that was the major problem. Yeah. When I came off the drugs and I realized that, yeah. I mean, I still have problems. I still, there's anxiety. Like, I'm doing this wedding this afternoon. There's a lot of anxiety in me. I, I don't know why. I know that, I know it's okay. I believe in the couple. I believe that God has blessed their marriage. It, and there's still this stuff that's coming up mm-hmm. that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that's a natural reaction. To yeah. some, but yeah. I think Good the pick. thing is being the, the key, one of the keys is staying involved like you kept giving you kept, you were able to keep serving you said you were you served into the 90, 80s yeah staying in the military so you weren't just all of a sudden one day you were out and alone in the middle of nowhere with all these thoughts and emotions you were still connected to the tribe in a way and you kept serving you've done recruiting you've you've helped people come back in you know find a way of life that is about service mm-hmm. and sacrifice and then you designed a program and said, hang on a second, how do we, in faith, care for other people? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, if, I think it's important. I mean, we have people on, in vet church that are sitting and not doing. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things well, in the world. you got to start. A lot of people uh, are hesitant to start maybe something like a military ministry because uh, they're worrying about uh, how it's going to turn out, what's going to happen, so on and so forth. That's God's going to take care of that. Okay, I'm going to start it. I'm going to use my best uh, ability, my knowledge, my faith, and we're going to move it, grow it, change it as we need to, as we go along, and we're going to put it within the church. So once we started the military ministry, we were handling people that were basically not physically here in the church any longer. Then I said, okay, we have uh, three significant holidays every year, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, and Veterans Day. We need to include uh, that in our services. Now, we did have a patriotic service. We changed it a little bit because we brought color guards in for the Fourth of July. But Memorial Day... We uh, we did that, and we've been I've been doing it ever since uh, 2005 and Veterans Day, and we're basically uh, explaining to the congregation and making sure the young kids know what Memorial Day really is. It's not a day off, and it's barbecues and swimming pools. There's other things. Uh, veterans Day, we honor all the veterans. We publish a list of all of our veterans in our bulletin. Uh, we have them stand during the service and honor them. And so that was a way of sort of bringing the military ministry, you know, back into the church. And it didn't cost you anything to do that. It didn't cost, I mean, a, that's didn't just cost a thing. All it did be. was uh, made me, uh, you know, um, write some prayers that were appropriate for the situation and uh, get up in front of the congregation, and that that didn't bother me. Uh, doing that so uh, it uh, we get a lot of uh, people who are visitors who make comments boy we really like that service the way it was done 
to honor the veterans or to honor those who lost their lives. And, uh, and of course, we're not, we're not doing it to get accolades. People ask me, well, if you support these men and women that are deployed, uh, how do you know, you know your work is being effective? I said, I really don't. I said, I don't get a status report. I said, but the band upstairs knows, and that's, that's the only that's one that really, counts. Yeah, that's really, I mean, like, it's, it's not, the only one that counts. You don't do it for what other people see. Yeah. Like, when we did Bet Church, it wasn't to take the place of the physical church. It was for the people that are they're stuck. And in fact, Bet Church yeah. is made up with a lot of people of that 3,000 plus are in a regular church. And... The idea is that you have to have this. You yeah. have to have flesh and blood community yeah. in order to fight isolation, in order to Correct. fight nightmares. You, you can't do it alone. If you're sitting at home watching a TV yeah. or, or just in a room with the lights out and the, the blinds down, yeah. what you've done, in a sense, is you've went and you've served. You've given yourself sacrifice or you've, you've made right. a huge sacrifice and you sacrifice family, friends. It's a whole group that sacrifices. And then you just say, well, I'm all alone. But that's never true unless right. you make it all alone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. Uh, a, a real example, uh, John Warren, who's uh, running for a governor, a Republican Party governor in South Carolina, uh, and he made it into the runoff, he was a member of our military ministry. His parents belonged to the church, and he was a lieutenant in the Marine Corps, platoon commander. And when I talked to him, I said, look, I said, uh, I'm going to work through you. So how many Marines do you have in your platoon? And he says, I got 55 uh, Navy corpsmen. So I found specific Bibles, Marine Corps Bible, Everything inside was the same, but the, on the outside... Oh, yeah, we've got some that were Army. Yeah, and, Army yeah. and Navy. So I sent him 55 Bibles, and he distributes them. And I get comments back. Uh, this is amazing. He says, I've got two Marines who are Hindus. It's the first time I've ever seen a Hindu read the Bible. And... Uh, so when people say, when you send all these Bibles out, how do you know they're being used? I said, well, I don't really know they're being used. But if I didn't send them out, I know they never would be used. So that's what what you have to do. Well, and you can focus on what you're doing yeah. and how it changes you. Yeah. Because to give a gift, you never know what the receiver's going to give you. And how, what they're thinking. Yeah. You give because you want to, you care. And then on his tour in Iraq, they put them in these uh, containers for uh, building spaces that were used on cargo ships. Well, can you imagine being in Iraq and being in a metal container and all that? I actually can. So, uh, you can. <laughs> I, I can. <laughs> uh, I, had a, I had a tour in the Middle East, too, and I can uh, imagine I don't want to be in one. Uh, the, uh, I said, what do you need? He said, we need fans. Okay. I go to Walmart. I said, hey, this is uh, for the military and so on and so forth. They sold them to me at cost. I shipped them, I don't know how many fans. Uh, we need socks. We're running out of socks. We're tearing them. I 
go to Walmart again, I get uh, 600 pairs of socks. And I ship the socks over there. <laughs> we, we do stuff like that. Uh, you guys shipped us something when we were in Jalal, though. I can't yeah. remember what it all was. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was, but I know that the chaplain's office received goods yeah. that from not just your church here, yeah. but from many different churches around the country, and it made a difference. I mean, there was there were things that were useful. I remember one of the big items at one point was those, uh, those wipe, wet wipes. Wet wipes. Wet yeah, wipes. Was, I mean, was, that yeah. was... That was some people's entire shower and headlamps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with the with the infrared on the top. Well, from a food standpoint, beef jerky was one of the number one items because you could carry it in your uniform and it withstood the weather and it was just a good thing. And uh, when I'd, I'd send surveys out and I'd say, what do you really need? And we developed a sort of a consistent list that was built from the ground up and I don't know how much beef jerky we used to. I'd go to Sam's and buy it in uh, cases, you know, big, big cases, and and ship that. But uh, it was just our way of uh, whatever we need to do to help the member of our military ministry. He happened to be a platoon commander, but he had 55 Marines. Yeah. So we were going to help him, help them all. So aside you know, the, the service members here, but on the other side of every service member is somebody. There's a relative, mm -hmm. uh, a mom, a dad, a grandmother, right. an aunt, an uncle, a wife, children. Right. And you've been married, how many years again? 56. 56 years of marriage. That's pretty awesome, actually. Kate and I are gonna hit 20 this <laughs> August, and we're all excited. Um, so 56 years of marriage, you know a little bit about that other side, like here's a service member, but there's this huge cast of folks. And in marriage, we in 2014 in the army, one of the statistics says, for an E5 and below in the army, there's an 80 percent divorce rate. Mm. In four in 2014, which yeah. I don't know, you know, statistics is statistic. The truth of the matter is, it's a lot of divorce. And how, how did you make 55 years? Well, I'll say this, uh, probably the question should go to my wife, how did she uh, make 56 years, because... I love it, Bob, that's a good answer. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I obviously had a job, I was away, and you couldn't be thinking constantly of what's going on back here when you had to look out in front of an aircraft and what's in front of you and pay attention to that. So you had to sort of, I won't say detach yourself, but you had to focus on what the mission was and what's in front of you. But you could never forget uh, what was behind you, who was taking care of the family, uh, who was doing everything. And uh, I was extremely fortunate. Um, she did uh, and continues to do a, a wonderful job. But also, as I said, I came from a military family. I had my father. I saw how my father and mother operated during periods of time that he was deployed. And uh, I'll never forget the one time we were at Cherry Point, North Carolina. We lived up in New Bern. And we were going to go to the beach this uh, 
Sunday afternoon. He says, I have to stop by the squadron for a few minutes. He was in aviation also. And he stopped by and he came back out. He says, uh, we gotta go back home. I gotta get all my gear, we're being deployed. Well, they were going to Korea. And I'm sitting there in the car. I never got to the beach that day, but I <laughs> saw him have to do what he had to do. So you, yeah, and, so you uh, had a good example. And I experienced that and I saw how he treated everything and how he handled things. So I've always always had that in, in the back of my mind and uh, knowing that he was uh, watching what I was doing in the Marine Corps and everything, I also felt I had the responsibility of uh, doing everything the best I could. Uh, my wife did a great job. Uh, I came back and, you know, I'd handle all the finances when I was there. Well, when I was gone, she did all the finances. And I didn't go back and say, uh, hey, how you doing? Give me the checkbook. You know, I'm taking over. You just kind of... Let it go. Gradually let it go and then filter back and I'd, I'd get back doing stuff that so, I normally did. So you have children? And they have children, maybe? I have a son, have two grandkids. Uh, in fact, we were just in uh, Fairfax, Virginia last week for the uh, granddaughter's graduation from high school. So, so, we've done, so we've done several interviews with grandchildren of service members mm -hmm. and for children of service members mm -hmm. that are not in the military because I think that that's, they're just as much a part of this tribe because they're the hope. Yeah. I mean, when you're doing what you did, you had hope for their future. Yeah. So what, what did they mean to you? What does that mean to you to know that? Well, uh, interesting thing, my son's a retired Marine. Uh, he's uh, 54 years old, going on 55, and uh, it was nothing that I told him that he had to do the same thing my father didn't tell me I had to do anything but he decided that's what he wanted to do so he graduated from college and uh, went off uh, and uh, went in the Marine Corps served active duty for about eight years and then went in the reserve and actually retired from the reserve so there's really you know there's really no no difference in the way he raised his kids, uh, you know, was uh, reflective in a lot of ways the way he was raised. Uh, Does it give you a lot of joy seeing your grandkids and yeah, and knowing that they're part of this? Yeah, well, uh, to show you, my, my grandson graduated from the uh, Art Institute of Chicago, so that would tell you one thing there, and he's not in the service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he is a uh, very good uh, photographer, and in his own, in his you know, in his art field, he's teaching school and he's doing that. So that's awesome. Nobody, uh, nobody told him he had to go on the surface or anything like that. But it was just kind of interesting. Uh, we had uh, three in a row with my father, me, and my son, and then uh, he he sort of broke the mold, but he's. Still got his head wired together and, and doing uh, doing a good job. From that. That's pretty cool. I my grandfather was in. Yeah. My dad was in. Yeah. And I obviously was in. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that when when folks would come in and sit down with me as a chaplain, and 
we'd have these conversations. Because mm-hmm. they do a lot of conversations at the chapel. I'd ask them about their, their family. Mm-hmm. And what was amazing to me was that many, many people joined the military because a family member had been in the military. Correct. And and so it's it's really, you know, when I say, I talk a lot on Bed Church about us being a tribe. We have our own language. We have our own, you know, we, we forgive these certain areas. These we won't forgive. You know, you Correct. strap on some stolen valor. We're not going to forgive you very easily. Correct. But uh, we, we, it's a tribe. Mm-hmm. It was a community of people, and and it's not just it's not an age community. It's like, you know, I, I look at you as a retired colonel, mm-hmm. and you know, it's sir, um, and then you know, after you paid respect because there's a lot of respect that's earned. Not it's not freely given. It's earned. Mm-hmm. You earned it. You're a colonel, and I was a captain, so it's going to be sir. And then I can say Bob later. And, and and it goes this way for everybody, you know. As a as I started traveling around, folks would say to me, "Well, oh, I can't I can't go see first sergeant so and so." I'm like, "Just give him a call." Oh well, no, you know. And, yeah, well, and, that's that's wrong. And and we started breaking yeah. that down a little bit yeah. by doing this because I think we have to be people too. Yeah. I mean, in some sense, you have to be Bob, and I have to be Matt. Yeah. And in order to do ministry. And, and look at our tribe, and to get, like, how there's a bunch of people in the, you, you got 65 or so family members and people on in the church that are part of the military ministry. It's they're also part of the maybe thousands of some people here in this church mm-hmm. that are not part of the military. Right, and it's a that's the deal is that we've got to come back to community because we are citizens also as veterans. We're not just in our own little world, yeah. operating yeah. on our own, we're with everybody else also. Well, I've got uh, two things I'll say in regard to that. One, I'll go back, and uh, when my wife and I were dating, and I went to her home, she was from Winter Park, Florida. She had two brothers, and uh, the one brother was coming up towards uh, graduating from high school, and he came up to me, and he says, uh, I want to go in the Marine Corps. So... I talked to him about the Marine Corps. He went in the Marine Corps, uh, got uh, commissioned, and retired as a major. And uh, the other brother was getting out of high school. He was five years down the road, and I'm a captain now in the Marine Corps. And uh, he's going to go work for a concrete company. And I took him to the Marine Corps recruiter one day. And I said, talk to him. So he went in the Marine Corps. Now, he only spent four years. He was kind of like dragging and kicking. But <laughs> it did refocus a lot of his uh, energy and direction as to what he wanted to do. Uh, my wife's father was a pilot in World War II, but that was before any of them really understood anything about it from that, from that standpoint. I get a, the, Secondly, I get a lot of... Uh, people coming to me from the church. Uh, my son wants to go in the military. Uh, he needs to talk to somebody. And uh, I talk to him. I don't try to convince him to go. I just answer questions and give him an idea. Because uh, you can tell the truth. Because yeah. otherwise they're not going to know. Yeah. I mean, until you raise your hand, yeah. you don't know what's on the other side of that door. Now, <laughs> now this year we had uh, 
two of our church members uh, get commissioned, one from West Point and one from Annapolis. And uh, I thought that was... Uh, it's pretty big pretty stuff good. right there, yeah. And I also, uh, for uh, Congressman Trey Gowdy, who's our congressman from, uh, from this district, uh, I set up the uh, Service Academy Selection Committee. I brought in these former Service Academy graduates and everything. We do all the interviews for him in December, and uh, we rack them and stack them based on uh, what academy they want to go to. And he says, you know, I know nothing about this, is what he told me, but you guys do. So you take a look and you let me know who you think's qualified. So, to so there's lots of opportunity. Yeah. So there's to keep yeah, serving. Yeah, you can do amazing things. Now this December will be eight years. We've been we've been doing that. You know, and uh, I get as much out of it because I get to meet these kids. And if you pay too much attention to the news, you think uh, everybody's off the deep end, so to speak. But you get to meet yeah, both sides. It's a it's side. the news is out but of control. You get to sit here and talk to kids that are high school seniors that really have their head screwed on right and uh, want to serve this country, and that does probably more for me than uh, the process that we're you know going through. Uh, we've had a lot of top uh, uh, graduates. Uh, from schools here, go in the services, get commissioned through the academies, do a do a good job. So that that's just a sort of a spinoff, you might say. But there's a lot of ways to use uh, what you've got uh, inside of you, as far as your the, the military uh, training, the uh, focus, the attention to detail, and. Uh, if Bob, if somebody out here in the vet church wanted to yeah. talk to you. What's the phone number that they could get a hold of you here at the military ministry of First Pres? Uh, wait one second. Uh, you're just like the rest of us. Got to look at the phone. <laughs> What's Unfortunately, that? Is yeah. it email or is it would the phone be better? Uh, they would be able to uh, call the church. Uh, and let me give you that, and then they will. It's eight six four. So we're right here in Greenville, South Carolina. So if you're in Tennessee, North Carolina, North Georgia, this man right here so, can help you find some. Uh, if you want to do something in your in your local church, go ahead, Bob. If you did want to do something in your local church and you wanted to get uh, an idea of. Um, maybe how to get started and uh, look at mission statements and things like that, uh, I would uh, really appreciate a phone call. If you'd call 864-235-0496, that's First Presbyterian Church. And the woman who handles everything on the church staff is Tammy Burkhalter, and you'd ask for her name, and then it'll... I'll be taken care of after that. She'll get a hold of me. We'll get in touch with one another, and uh, we'll be able to uh, see what you're interested in, and uh, help hopefully, uh, you know, get you moving in the right direction. Well, Bob, I really appreciate you doing a vet church interview. Um, 
Well, this is great. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I didn't know anything about it until we got in touch with one another. Well, and, and it's easy to join. Yeah. Vet Church is all on. Are you on Facebook? Unfortunately, no. See, now, this is a beautiful thing because <laughs> a lot of veterans aren't. In fact, you're the third or fourth person I've interviewed on Vet Church who's not on Facebook. Um, no problems. Do, you, do I have your permission to put this on a podcast? Too. Yeah, you can do that. Okay. No problem. Because we're going to, um, these the are reason, all going to want to The reason I'm not on it, I, I still have a consulting business, aerospace consulting business, and I've got a pretty tight uh, security system on my computer, and it doesn't get along with Facebook. With Facebook. Right. <laughs> so, well, I had, so I had a choice. I either buy a separate computer just for Facebook or I don't. Well, and there's out. some people that you, they're bit, well, you're busy. You're doing stuff. Yeah. I remember, like, when um, I I got a hold of you through Tim. Right. And Tim said, "Well, you got this time spot. <laughs> this man's busy. <laughs> Call him." So, and I like that because at seventy four years old, you've stayed involved. You're seventy six. Seventy six. I'll take seventy four. <laughs> seventy six years old, still involved. Every one of us should be. If you got, I, and I, I don't shoot on people, but if you have. If you if you if there's blood flowing in your veins and there's air breathing in your lungs, here's an example of a man who is passionate about life. He's passionate about his family. He's still giving back. It's a life of sacrifice, of course. You just came from the gym at 76 years old on a Saturday morning because you got to do some stewardship with your body. You got to take care of yourself. Self care yeah. is important. I agree with that. And and then you're giving back. And I love that, Bob. I, I loved it that when I was deployed, you sent stuff to our people. Yeah. And and I always knew that you guys prayed for us. Right. And we did. And it's it's a weird thing because, you know, I heard often from po- folks coming back from Vietnam, mm-hmm. we can't talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. And I don't think that they didn't want to talk about it. I think America couldn't hear it. I think Nobody the capacity. Yeah, I think the capacity of our nation to listen was not there, and I think that doing this right here, you sharing part of your story, other people keep doing this. My goal, like we're we're renting our house, and next year our goal, we're going on the road full time. The goal mm-hmm. is to do four hundred of these interviews between July fifteenth and the next July fifteenth, and um, July third, the National Cathedral is letting us use the National Cathedral oh, for we're doing yeah, a vet, vet church interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vet Church pilgrimage mm-hmm. through the National Cathedral at eleven thirty at night into twelve thirty a.m. on July fourth to have some Independence Day from mm-hmm. from some of the evil that seems to creep into our own heads, some of the anger, some of the hurt and pain, some independence from that, and letting the, this huge National Cathedral kind of minister to us as we walk through and talk, and uh, Randy Haycock, one of the chaplains I served with at Walter Reed's leading it. I'll be playing some music along the way. Mm-hmm. And um, and we have to stay involved. You know, this this church right here, if you're in Green, if you're anywhere near Greenville, South Carolina, this is a beautiful building. It, there's places to, for quiet meditation in right. the building. As right. we came in this morning, people are working outside. It's it's a beautiful church. I'd say visit it just for what it can do. A building. Yeah, we'd be glad to have you. anybody. Uh, and if you want to talk to me personally, if you're coming to the church, uh, just get a hold of us ahead of time, and I'll 
make sure we can get together. Uh, I've always said if you have something to give, give it. Uh, everybody can help somebody else in one way or another, but you can't do it if you're just uh, sitting there and keeping it all inside of yourself. Yeah. Uh, and you never know once you make that first move when that second one's coming because uh, it just sort of builds on it. That's true. And, you know, in, in the whole post-traumatic stress thing, the, and many names throughout history for it, isolation is the number one problem. When yeah. people isolate, yeah. you have to be with other people. We have to have community. Yeah. So. Well, hey, thank you so much, Bob, for doing this with us today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, look forward to see uh, what what comes of this. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> it's exciting. Thank you so much. Okay, Bed Church, y'all continue to question, question what we're saying, question what you're thinking. Use your brains. Think. Have fun. Take care of one another. Love one another. Talk to y'all later. Thank you for joining us for this Bed Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.